Blog Talk Radio. Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Spirituality and science are both telling us that we are literally all connected, that we're literally all one, and what you do to another person, you are literally doing to yourself. So when the world awakens to the universal truth of oneness, there will be peace on earth. Today's show topic is creating a new narrative of peace with Philip Helmich. Philip is the director of peace for the Shift Network, and he's also the author of God and Conflict. Um, We like to welcome Philip to Awake to Oneness Radio. Hi, Philip. How are you? Hi, Caroline. I'm wonderful, and thank you so much for having me here on Awake to Oneness. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, We truly appreciate that. That's our honor to have you. Um, Can you please share with our audience um, your story, your journey, um, and the work that you're doing? But basically, how how did you um, get started in the work that you're doing? And you give us the backstory of of you. Sure, sure, I'll do that. But first, I just want to acknowledge I really enjoy reading more about your own story and the story with Kyle and just really want to offer my my just deep, heartfelt gratitude for who you are and, and how you responded to that own pain and suffering in your own life. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, my own, my own background, my experiences, <laughs> I don't know if I could have ever dreamed it up. I was born in a family in Indiana, rural Indiana. Uh, my parents had ten children. I was the fifth, the only one that was planned. And then we picked up one more brother later when his parents died. And, and it was a, you know, it's a small, small town, factories and farms, and and you know, it was it was a pretty, pretty idyllic way to grow up. My older brothers uh, always protected us. Um, took care of us. We were really tight-knit. My dad worked in a factory. My mom stayed home and babysat. And we were really, really close and a really strong sense of family. And my parents always instilled into us about the idea of, you know, taking care of others and helping out. And it, you know, and, you know, even though we financially didn't have a lot, we felt like we were really, really close. And all 10 of us, well, actually all 11 of us were able to put ourselves through college and several doctor degrees. And it's just a beautiful story. You know, my parents were married before their senior year of high school, and mm-hmm. and and so it went. In, it had just a lot of love, and and then I graduated from college, and I wanted to to serve. And a friend of mine applied for Peace Corps. My older brother uh, had been a medical residency in Liberia, so I signed up for Peace Corps. Was invited to Sierra Leone, West Africa. So I go from rural Indiana, and the town I was in at the time was ethnically just homogenous, you know, just all white at the time, now more diverse. And then suddenly I was was living in Sierra Leone, 
in a small remote bush village and had gone through the training. And the first village I lived in was Cagbury, has about 30 houses, 300 people out in the bush and subtropics forests. And then I ended up staying four years instead of two, and I lived in another village called the Songbo, just because I, I just fell in love with the people. And I, was, I stumbled across some, some work, you know, of, of building water wells and then also fishing lures. But really, the, uh, what happened for me there in Sierra Leone was a, a gradual transformation where, you know, there was no electricity, no running water, my friends were and are subsistence farmers, meaning they lived off of what they grew from the earth. And and then there was these rhythms. There was the rhythms of rainy season and dry season. Of There was a, uh, rhythms of the moon. Suddenly the moon cycles were all apparent. Uh, there was the rhythms of hungry season when there wouldn't be much uh, food to eat and hard work in the fields. And then there was harvest season when there was plenty and lots of ceremonies and dancing. And... and you know, and then my friends also had a deep sense of spirituality that was connected with Earth and their ancestors and spirit. And they would initiate young boys and girls to, you know, go off into the bush for initiations in these secret societies. And I would hear the drumming, I'd hear the chanting, and they would come out and be welcomed by the community as adults. And through this, through this, you know, and even though life was hard physically, I mean, Subsistence farming is very, very difficult work. It's very, very strenuous. Yet at the same time, and, and also one out of every four or five children were, would die before the age of five. Mm-hmm. And I would hear the, you know, hear the, the, the crying through the village. Even though there was physically hard, there was a deep sense of connectedness and belonging that was even stronger than what I had experienced growing up. And there was a very strong sense of family, extended community, and relationship with ancestors, and relationship with the earth, and a deep sense of spirituality, and and that there was a sense of well-being from that sense of connectedness and belonging. And mm-hmm. all of this, all of this, really didn't register to me how much I had transformed until I came back. I came back once after two and a half years for holidays to visit my family and wedding. And then I, after four years when I came back, suddenly there was this reverse culture shock because, you know, there was no electricity, no running water, spending a lot of time. Keeping time was an expression. You just keep time with one another. And and suddenly it was like Indiana, We the TV had gone from a few stations to cable TV, lots and lots of TV stations. My family was spending a lot of time in front of the TV instead of just talking with one another. People seemed to be in a hurry to go off chasing something, to be someplace, to do something. And then there was all these advertisements, media of, I I must have this, this, or that in order to be happy or to avoid, you know, something fearful. And, And then I was just like, my God, the sense of happiness, what is this pursuit of happiness, you know? The United States founded upon life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness didn't make sense because people didn't seem to have the time to connect with one another or spend time connecting with the environment, let alone to follow the cycles of the moon. And, and so I was really, really confused. And at the same time, Caroline, I realized that our lifestyles were impacting not only the environment, but also people in other countries that we would never see. 
I mean, with the environment in Sierra Leone, when there was a plastic bottle, it would always be reused. I mean, people would ask me if they could have the plastic bottle. Nothing, nothing went to waste. Everything was organically recycled. And when I would see the trash that would be put out to the street week after week after week after week, and I was like, yet people didn't seem as happy as my friends in the village. So this really started from questioning. And at this time, you know, I, I, through a series of events, I ended up meeting Michael Singer, who is now the, now the author of two New York Times bestselling books. One is The Untethered Soul, and the other one is The Surrender Experiment. And at the time, uh, or Mickey, as he is known, he's, he has a little ashram. He's a, he's a yogi. And at the time, he was the head of a small software company that later became WebMD. It's a wonderful story, his story in the surrender experiment. And, and I met him and started studying mind-body uh, health awareness, and I started to explore meditation and just really started to question things. And Nikki, Nikki was a really profound influence because he, you know, when I would meet with him, I would go on and on about the pain and suffering in different places around the world, and he would say, well, who asked you how it should be? And then Mickey would say, you know, if you were on the planet Pluto and it was orbiting the way that you didn't like, what are you going to do about it? And then he said, look, there's millions and billions of stars in the, in the galaxy, and there are billions of galaxies more being discovered all the time, and all of these are guided by an intelligence, that if you turn to that intelligence, it will guide your life in ways that you've never imagined. And that's exactly what happened to Mickey. You know, he went from wanting to be just meditating in the woods to becoming the CEO of what was later WebMD. And, and so he mentioned this to me, and it really challenged me. But, but you know, I was, I was kind of in, a, in, a, in an upset and angry phase because the Persian, Persian Gulf War started, and I knew that was based on oil. And then I went to the Navajo Reservation to teach, and I spent a lot of time meditating out there in, 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 on the mesas and, and then the war in Sierra Leone started. And the war in Sierra Leone started, and it was fueled in part economy because of blood diamonds. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew our lifestyle in the West not only contributed to the war in the Persian Gulf, but it, it, it contributed to the war in Sierra Leone. And so when I was on the Navajo Reservation, right next to the Hopi Reservation, teaching elementary school, just meditating a lot, I, it dawned on me that, you know, I was reading a lot about His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and he was saying, everybody wants to be happy, and everybody wants to avoid suffering, and that we have our common humanity. So I thought, well, why, why don't we focus on a project that would look at people's desire for inner peace around the world? And so I went to Washington, D.C., and tried to do that through Peace Corps, and, and tried through different, several different ways, and, you know, and, and kind of crashed and burned, and I went back down to see Mickey, and he he basically said, look, you thought you knew what was going on. You had to get blown out of that seat with dynamite. And he drove me around his office building, and then he said, we now have several hundred employees, and I did not do any of this. All I did was follow Shakti spirit. Shakti said, go left, go left. Shakti says, right, go right. And he again reminded me, he said, learn to follow the energy. So I went back to D.C., and I got a job with Search for Common Ground, which is now one of the world's largest organizations. Um, and then, lo and behold, Nikki had predicted, he said, you know, follow the energy. It may take you back to Africa in ways that you never imagined. So suddenly I'm working with Search for Common Ground, and then they asked me to go back to Sierra Leone on an assessment mission. This was 1998. The war had been going on for seven years. I'd, I'd left there from Peace Corps nine years earlier. 
Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you, Caroline, how nervous I was about going back because Sierra Leone had been through this bloody, chaotic civil war. People in the news from Sierra Leone was about child soldiers, you know, hacking off the limbs of women and children and doing horrific things. I go back in this country where that had been my home was suddenly overrun by military from West, West African countries, peacekeeping troops. And there were bullet holes everywhere, buildings burnt out. And then my colleague and I went up country and there were vehicles that had been ambushed and were burnt out on the side of the road and went out further. And a BBC person had been killed that same week on the same road we were traveling on, but a little bit further out. We got back up to a town where I had been as a Peace Corps volunteer where I'd get supplies. We met with a Catholic bishop. And when he heard I was, had lived in Masongbo, he volunteered to take me back. We went back to Masongbo on a Sunday morning. Catholic Church is just rocking and rolling with drumming and chanting. And my friends were there, and some of them were there. And it was this joyous reunion. But it was a mixture because the, the, the poverty had hit, hit even worse. People's clothes, there was more malnourishment. People would tell me the stories about the atrocities of the RUF rebels. And then meanwhile, they handed me everything they had, coconuts, palm wine, cola nuts. Mm-hmm. And and I left there, and when I left, I I told them I would be back and that we were going to start a project. And then when we were in McKinney, uh, the, what we came across was a mob killing, a mob killing of a rebel person. And I got out and got pictures of I didn't know what to do. And and it was this shock of seeing this, this mob killing of a young person who had been accused of being a rebel in this place that felt like my second home. And here I was by this point meditating a couple hours a day. And then, then you know, I go back and I go back to Washington, D.C. We write a report to, you know, seek funding. And then what happens is the war came back through. The front page of the New York Times was a picture of a woman, both arms cut off, in the same exact area had been a few weeks earlier with my friends. And so suddenly the war came back through. My friends were then again held hostage by these rebels. They went down the they Freetown. Over 3,000 people killed. A documentary was produced and aired on CNN. CNN warned that the, the, the graphics were really horrible. And, but it resulted in the United Nations sending the largest peacekeeping uh, mission in the world at that time to Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. And it took two years. But we, and th- at this point, my heart is just breaking. I mean, it's just literally, literally breaking. Because I have a picture of me with my friends, and I have a picture of this New York Times. So what I did is I took this into my meditation practice. And at this point, I was practicing a tradition taught by Paramahansa Yogananda, who brought yoga to the West in 1920. And he, mm-hmm. he always encouraged people to pray to that aspect of the divine that is most dear to them. It doesn't matter what aspect. For some, it could be Buddha. Others, it could be Christ. It could be impersonal joy. And he said, if you ever want a response from God, pray to the divine mother. That the divine mother is bound to respond to her children. And so I started, I just started praying to the Divine Mother, like, help. Help me understand what's going on here. And then what started happening, I go into a little bit in, this, in the book, is I started to have these, these ecstatic experiences. And when they started coming, they felt very, very, you know, at first I started writing this love poetry, and then started having these experiences, and it would be this intoxicating divine love. And at some times, 
after it would go on, I would just break down and start crying, saying, I've missed you, I've missed you, I've missed you. Like on a deep intuitive level, there was this mm-hmm. part of me that knew of this basic oneness, this oneness when in that state, when the ego's judgment, everything is cast aside, there is this state of oneness with everything, where every cell in the body pulses with this awakened sense of loveness. And, and of just this love and this oneness. And, and it was, at first it was confusing because, you know, I, I was raised Catholic. Like, how can God be making love to me? You know, it's just like, I mean, that's what it felt like. And, right. and then, but I just stayed with it. And then I started making trips back to Sierra Leone on these peacekeeping trips. And so I started going in and out of Sierra Leone when it's, you know, the continuous peace process. And then Liberia and then Congo, Rwanda, and all these different countries plus sub-Saharan Africa. But even one time, I barely missed a coup attempt. I went back to a hotel and meditate, and boom, there's that presence again. So I started to, I really started to inquire, how can there be, and then I found out that one of the villages I lived in, Masongbo, had been sacked and held hostage by a rebel unit trained by a teenage boy named Colonel Rambo, who was trained by watching Rambo movies. So here are these teenage boys trained by watching Rambo movies, again, the Western impact. Then meanwhile, here's these ecstatic experiences, which can be, which can be, a person can reach those experiences through these very ancient scientific yogic techniques. Mm-hmm. And so I, it, it, all of this just drove me deeper and deeper and deeper. And what I came to see, and fortunately I was working on these peace building projects, because these peace building projects were just incredible. I mean, in, in Sierra Leone, within a, we had former child soldiers, former rebels, former sex slaves, people producing radio programs on the airways that were reaching 89% of the country, helping shift the dynamics in the peace building process. In Burundi, next to Rwanda, the, the search for common ground had former Hutus and Tutsi, or no, Hutus and Tutsi co-producing radio programs within a year of the genocide. So these programs were having a dramatic effect. And what I started to see is that conflict is a natural result of feeling separate. And Mm -hmm. in feeling separate from the other, we can judge the other based on race, identity, religion. But really, if you go further down, what it is is there's there's a sense of separation from oneness, from our soul and spirit. And when we have that sense of separation, what happens is we have our thoughts, we have our emotions, we identify with them, we believe them, and that creates what Buddhists or, you know, people in the yogic tradition would call the wanting self. I want to be happy, I want to avoid suffering. All of us have that. It gives rise to the ego. And then the ego, feeling separate from everything, goes around rearranging the world to try to get it the way we want it in order to be happy and avoid suffering. And then, so conflict is natural because we're going to bump into each other in the process. Well, and, and then so transforming conflict has helped people move beyond their sense of separation to rediscover their common humanity. And what we do is we awaken soul qualities, which scientists are now proving we're hardwired for compassion, tolerance, and forgiveness. So the conflict mm-hmm. transformation work is, is doing that. And, and so as I worked with these projects in search for common ground, traveling all across sub-Saharan Africa, up to Macedonia, I really started to see that there was something much deeper going on with transforming conflict. Actually, we were leveraging the technology of the soul through modern peace-building process, and that science was starting to validate this awareness, the neuroscience 
were starting to validate these innate qualities. So I wanted to start exploring the consciousness of conflict and peace building. And then so it's about almost five years ago I joined the SHIFT Network. And in the past five years, we've been interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people starting to map out peace from inner to international. And what we've been showing is that there's been an increase, dramatic increase of peace building around the world in terms of the inner level, the number of people practicing yoga and meditation, scientific research on the benefit of yoga and meditation and looking at compassion and tolerance and forgiveness. There's been an exponential growth of people who are practicing nonviolent communication, exponential growth of people practicing mediation or alternative dispute resolution. It goes on and on and on. And what that is, it's really, if you will, humanity's consciousness is growing where there's a greater awareness of oneness. And that sense of oneness is starting to express itself in individual unique ways that's starting to help humanity deal with this crisis that's being accelerated by the fact that, you know, the global economy with technology, more and more people pursuing happiness out of control way, and yet what's responding is what, you know, it's been called the blessed unrest, is that people are looking at how to, to help um, help create a world where we are aware of everyone. So that's, that's a brief background of, of my own experience. And, you know, I, I just love the fact that you're looking at this question of uh, to awake to oneness. And, you know, what does that look like? You know, I, right. I'm always looking at it's like how does that how does that sense of oneness show up in a way that's meaningful for people where they are in their daily lives? And so at the that's, Shift Network, we have the Summer Peace, the World Peace Library, and a Peace Ambassador Training. So that, that's a brief, brief overview of Caroline, and I love the question, so thank you for asking. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, like you said, I, <clears throat> I personally woke up to the truth of oneness in um, fall of... 2007, um, and I understood it. It was like a light bulb went off, um, and, and more through, I watched the, the documentary, um, What the Bleep, and mm-hmm. um, just understanding, now I had been studying spirituality on and off for many years, but now when I watched What the Bleep, it, it made me aware that quantum physics has proven that we are literally all connected, that we're all one, and I'm like, it's that. It, it's just like okay. Once I understood oneness, everything else made sense to me. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. all the questions and all the things I struggled with in studying spirituality made sense once I understood oneness. Mm-hmm. And but like you said, the the living it day by day. Because even though I understood it in '07, I didn't really apply it until I started applying it on a daily basis in my life mm-hmm. in 2010. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it took like three years. I understand oneness, but now what do I do with it? Okay? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. three years later, I was like, okay, I'm going to apply it to my life daily and start studying mm-hmm. daily. And that's what I love the Internet because I did unplug from mainstream media. I, I stopped watching news in 2001, and I stopped watching commercial television in 2011, and so I unplugged mm-hmm. from mainstream and started, got on the internet and just started studying everything I could, quantum physics and spirituality, ancient wisdom, and like I said, it took, uh, I guess, me losing my son was 
the the catalyst for me to say, mm. okay, let me now. I have this information, and I want to now inspire other others mm-hmm. with this information. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's how mm-hmm. awake. That's how awake to oneness came to be. So nice. I, I yeah, I truly and totally understand what you're coming from. So tell us more. Tell us more about the Shift Network and the Summer of Peace that you are involved with. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge something you said there about, you know, is the loss of your son. And, you know, and, and that's something that I have seen in many of the interviews that I've conducted is, well, a couple of things. A, often pain and suffering is what brings us to our knees, that brings us to looking for something deeper than what, you know, what we might have been seeking before. You know, there's some some yogis who say pain and suffering brings, our, brings us to our knees to, to finally start seeking some type of relationship with whatever you want to call it, creative intelligence, right. God, spirit, whatever. You know, language will work differently. The Shift Network is, well, for just a background on Shift Network, I mean, it was, it, it was founded by a, Stephen Dinah, who's a, now like a brother and, and a close friend of mine, and and he, he was on a 10-day meditation retreat. He was working at Esalen, and he was arranging a lot of different speakers. And he just got a really clear vision of setting up a global multimedia platform that would help with the spreading of consciousness-raising consciousness rating content and making mm-hmm. it as widely available as possible, so kind of the democratization of, of content. So he got a really clear vision, and he, he tried with one way, and it didn't work, and he tried through a nonprofit, and he got it as far as he could, and then he wanted to take it further, and so that's how he created the Shift Network. And, you know, it started something like six years ago and started with a series called Sacred Awakening, 40 Days of Sacred Awakening. And, and, and basically it's an online platform where we offer uh, online summits, mm-hmm. like conferences, and then we also uh, courses where people can can – Learn, learn more from just amazing teachers that they can apply in their daily lives. And, and really the, the essence is to help people awaken, help people awaken to their own divinity mm-hmm. and, then, and then to take meaningful action, meaningful inspired action, meaning that it's action that's, and this is the key part, that it's action that's really guided by a higher source of wisdom, intuitive wisdom, that is also meaningful. And when I'm saying meaningful, is oftentimes when a person, this is a beautiful thing, it's when a person, and, and there's some great research, and I'll come back to this for a piece. One of the people I've interviewed who I really, really, really enjoy is Richard Miller, who mm-hmm. created, I, and he's the founder of IRIS, which teaches Nidra Yoga, an ancient type of meditation, and he's now working with veterans with PTSD, he's working with homeless, he's working with a wide range of people. And he helps people go in and experience what he would say is a non-dual state. A non-dual state is where you feel where we can feel oneness. He right. says we're all we all have that capacity. And he even says which part of the brain gets activated. You know, from a neuroscience play, he says we have the ability to be in a, a dual state where we feel separate from, and we take care of ourselves. We have the ability to be in a non-dual state, and we need to be able to navigate going in and out of both. But when we go into a, a non-dual state, what often what happens is a person gets in touch with a deeper sense of their soul purpose at this point in time. Each, purpose, each person's soul purpose will look a little bit different in the sense that it will be 
wow, at this point in time, I'm going to be working on peace building, or at this point in time, I'm going to be interviewing people around wellness, or at this point in time, mm-hmm. I'm going to be working with my family on this. And, and as we work on that, it helps heal and transform ourselves and open up to deeper qualities of our own soul qualities. And invariably, that purpose will involve the benefit of others, which is, this has many, many implications. A, it proves that we're hardwired for passion and altruism, and, and that when we tap into these deeper, you know, ancient teachings of inner science, we awaken these qualities for the benefit of society. And then you can also see how more and more people practicing yoga and meditation, tapping into these technologies, you can see that has, how that's going to create a wave of action around the world where people are starting to act towards the benefit of a larger whole. Instead of when we have fear, we narrow our identity, and then we get focused on just taking care of me, mine, and it. You know, and then so we can see how how, you know, for me this is really profound because Yogananda introduced yoga to the West in 1920. Mm-hmm. If you watch his movie, movie The Wake of the Life of Yogananda, there's a powerful scene where it says, where Yogananda was writing the autobiography of a yogi in the mid-1940s. Uh-huh. We, we were dropping the first atomic bomb. Like the need for these teachings were more imperative than ever. Right. So coming back to the shift network, the idea is that you know, we're looking to help people awaken to their own divinity, aware that each person's path will look different, and yet we bring programs online, whether they're the, the online summits where people can learn from different teachers about a particular subject and or specific classes where they can go deeper and then encourage people to take action. Now, the Summer of Peace was an inspiration of Steve Dine, Stephen Dynan and Deva Haley Mitchell, his wife, and several other people in the Bay Area, wanting to start to celebrate peace on a community level. And then it evolved over time. So when I've been brought on, I kind of married it with some interest myself and others of, like, let's really start mapping out peace. Because what does peace mean? And there's a wonderful quote from a person named Steve Kilalea who's created something called the Global Peace Index, which is a scientific way of measuring the level of peace and lack of peace per country in the world. And every year they come out with a report saying this is the most peaceful country, this is the least peaceful. And they also measure the economic impact of the last of lack of peace. It's been voted one of the, the think tank is now one of the top 10 think tanks in the world. They've estimated that, that you know, there's 12 to $13 trillion a year lost to the lack of peace, and there's an estimate that with the trends, we're heading to the potential of losing $43 trillion to, to, to lack of peace and, and, and violence. So Steve Kilalea, when, when he was interviewed, he said, look, uh, we, we, we adjusted his quote here, but like there's 108 words for love in Sanskrit, 99 words for God in Islam, 14 words for beauty in Japanese, we've got one word for peace. We don't have all the words to accurately describe all the different ways that peace is understood. And, mm-hmm. and he said it was Socrates. He said, if you don't have words, language to describe something, then how can you talk about it? So that really stuff stood with me. And so what we've done by interviewing these hundreds of people is we've created a world peace library that has broad topics of inner peace, interpersonal and interpersonal family, and then community, and, and international, and across over 
26 sectors of society, from business and military and communications. And what we've been doing is showing that there is a larger wave. So one of the things what, what we're interested in is contributing to a new narrative of peace. That new narrative is that, is that there is a wave of peace building emerging around the world, that there's new technologies based upon ancient wisdom and modern science that is providing very practical, hard-nosed ways for people to live more peacefully together and more peacefully with other countries and with the environment. And by bringing attention to this, that we can see that this wave has been quietly emerging, even though when you watch the news, all you think there is death and destruction and despair. But there's well, this that's other... Kind of, that's kind of designed that way. <laughs> Mainstream it is. media. It is. News, yes. Yes, yes. Yes, and, and 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 that's not, you know, that's part of the story, but what's mm-hmm. also, I mean, but you see, there's, there's a saying of what we appreciate, appreciate, which means mm-hmm. when, we, when we bring attention, it grows, it expands. Okay, And so exactly. we want to bring it, yes, so we want to bring attention to, to, to the multiple different ways that peace is growing around the world. Right. And, and by doing this, then, we can accelerate it. And, and so that, that's what we're up to. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's been it's just so much fun. And then we also have these wonderful, we also have these wonderful, um, um, the Peace Ambassador Training, which was designed by James O'Dea, who had been the director of Amnesty International. He was later the president of the Institute of North Science. James is a longtime dear friend, and this this tech, it the, the peace ambassador training is it, designed to take people from looking at deep personal peace and then moving on up to healing personal collective wounds, communicating peace, and then mastering mm-hmm. system change, organizing for peace. And so that's what we're doing. And I, I just pinch myself that I get to work doing this because yeah. you know everyone everyone at the Shift Network is consciously trying to really working to be as conscious as they and then we get to serve people and we've reached you know the we've reached well over a half million people now in, in some capacity in the mm-hmm. Peace Master Training we have people in some 21 countries so so that's that's what we're up to um, wow. and it's kind of it's kind of fun yeah it's it's amazing um, like well like I had said, the the mainstream news media, that their 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 job <laughs> is trying to um, let the world make the masses think that peace is not you know that they're, all there is, is is war and violence and and that's not the case, <clears throat> and because they don't want uh, the masses to know how um, basically to keep our vibration low, to keep the masses vibration low. So they don't know their own power, and and keep them in a state of fear. Um, but that is the tide has turned on that. Um, my belief, um, the consciousness, man's mankind consciousness, is evolving. It is um, the tide has turned. Now things are moving in a more positive, loving, peaceful direction, and. Even if mainstream media is not reporting on it, we have the Internet. So we have other ways of obtaining this information that um, it's not all gloom and doom the way the 
uh, six o'clock news wants you to think it is. Right. And, and your yeah. your radio program is a perfect example of that, Caroline. It's a perfect example. As you said, with the internet, there's a lot of there's a lot of ability for people to create their own media. And you're yes. doing it with this program. It, it it came out of a heartbreak, and look at how you're responding. And there are people around the world responding to heartbreak, heartbreak through inspiring ways. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, very true. And uh, the thing I love about the Internet um, talk radio is that um, even those who don't listen to this program live, they can listen to it anytime, any place in the world. All you need is a computer. So um, that's you know. So it's not like regular radio. You miss the show. You miss the show. It's it's there forever. <laughs> right. Um, right. So yeah, I I really I do believe that um, the tide is turning. That's why I don't. I had a conversation with a, a friend today, who kind of is like, you don't watch news. Like, no, you you're not interested in the presidential election. No, <laughs> you know. Um, I I I understand um now and when I stopped watching news I didn't <clears throat> this was back in 2001 I honestly just intuitively followed my soul's guidance and I heard my soul say to me loud and clear in 2001 after 9/11 and I didn't even know why but I heard this loud and clear turn off the news and don't ever turn it back on and I'm like, okay, I don't know why, but I'll do it. I'll be obedient. I will turn it off, and I won't ever turn it back on. So I have not watched news since September 2001. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, but, I mean, all the news I need, to, I'm on the computer. Anything I need to know as far as the news, it comes to me. And my neighbors and friends, they all know I don't watch news. So if something happens where they think I need to know, they call me, let me know. And, you know, mm-hmm. so... <laughs> So it's not like I'm, I'm burying my head in the sand. It's just like you right. said, what you what you put your attention to, and I, I right. understand and believe that my focus has to be on what I want to see in the world. So, and yeah. watching the news is not going to put my attention on what I want to see more of in the uh-huh. world. Uh huh. So, yeah. You know, and, and yeah. it's such a careful balance with that, Caroline, because I empathize. <laughs> I don't watch news, and then. I find myself scanning headlines and okay. and scanning mm-hmm. headlines, you know, on the internet or my iPhone, and and I just because it it, it does get pretty depressing. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes if if I hear of a story that piques my interest, I know I can track it down online. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But. Most of the time, it's not something I really. Sometimes I just need to know the headline. I don't need to know the gory details because uh-huh. I don't need to focus on the on the gory details. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, I do try moment by moment to keep my vibration high, to to yeah. stay in alignment with my higher self, and to keep myself at a high vibration because I know that that from within um, one of the uh, terms I I heard you mention, um, and I think on a video I saw of yours was the um, inner the inner connection <clears throat> to international inner peace that connects to um, international peace. So it's yes. for me it it starts with that inner peace that that inner yes. peace which then radiates 
outward to everyone you come in contact with. And that could yeah. be um, through a radio show or in person. So, yeah. And, 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 and know, I, I'd like to... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, and, and, just build on that. I mean, it... Inter, I'd like to think that inner peace has actually become a global responsibility mm-hmm. because when we look when we look at massive lack of inner peace and then we start to try to address that lack of inner peace through massive consumerism, then yeah. that that contributes to economic that contributes to environmental de- degradation. It also contributes to um, uh, geo, geopolitical conflicts, whether it's over natural resources, whether it's oil or diamonds or, you know, metals for, for cell phones from the Congo. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, having a world that is completely out of lack of, of having hundreds and hundreds of million people completely out of inner peace looking to solve that through through consumerism is just destructive. And and there's some wonderful research, scientific research, calling it the hedonic treadmill. The hedonic treadmill is I need something outside myself for a quick fix so I feel better. And you just, it's a treadmill. You just stay on it, on it, on it, on it, on it. Whereas there's some great scientific research pointing to it's more of a sense of connection and belonging mm. that brings a sense of happiness more so and the temporary pleasures that come, and then those temporary pleasures, then there's the stress of trying to get them again, trying to get them again, make more money, da da da, da and so forth. So, exactly. so yeah, it's interesting, that's, you know. That's so and, and true. Of course, yeah, and of course we need our basic needs met also. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so there's a balance there. Right, but it's so true that um, society, as generally, seeks for whatever is bothering them emotionally, um, spiritually, physically, mentally, they seek outside of themselves for the, a solution when the solution truly lies within. So <clears throat> you want to heal from within, and once you heal from within, then you, you understand that that what you thought a, a new car or whatever is out there you thought would bring you happiness and peace. And so many people have thought, okay, I get this, I'll be happy. They get it in a few days or a few weeks. They're not, you know, they're back. Like you said, that treadmill, okay, that didn't do right. it. Okay, I need something else. Okay, that didn't do it. So I need something else. So, but then you get, once you um, mature, I think, spiritually, you get to the point you understand you get to the point where you understand that nothing outside of yourself, not this material world, which one of the things that stuck with me from um, science class, seventh grade science class, when we were studying molecules, my science teacher said to us, nothing is truly solid. And and, and that stuck with me. Like, nothing mm. is truly so- solid? Wait, I thought this table was solid. I thought So that, in, in essence, science has proven long ago that this material world is really an illusion. Um, it's mm-hmm. not true. It's not real. It's not the real. And, it, and nothing that's not real can really satisfy. The things that can satisfy is what you were talking about, love, joy, um, compassion, um, family. You know, that, that will, that's 
those those are the um, feelings that will really satisfy your internal need. And once that's satisfied, then you won't be seeking things outward to consume and consume. So yeah, I yeah. T- I totally and totally agree with you. Yeah, so we're we're totally on the same page. <laughs> yeah, and, and and we have to also remind there's a balance. You know, it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's easier to have these interstates when there's when there's basic needs, but when there's you know lack of basic needs, it, it, it takes more of a meditation master to stay in a place of right. balance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, for me, I always remind myself though, whatever I'm experiencing, I did create that. I'm creating mm-hmm. this reality, so I created whatever shows up, whatever arises in my reality in that moment, whether it's something pleasant or unpleasant, I have to remind myself, well, I created that reality I'm experiencing, and I create, my higher self created it for a reason. I may not understand it on a um, human conscious level, because our human consciousness is so limited. You know, we can't mm-hmm. see the big picture, but my higher self um, can see the big picture, so I have to just keep trusting, and and it's just a matter of trust and knowing. When you, I believe, and I always say this: when you really know in your heart who you are, where you know that you are connected to God, you can never be separated from God, you can never be hurt. You, you know, you're always protected, you're always loved. When you know that, you can kind of move through your day fearlessly, knowing that okay, mm-hmm. whatever rose. I created it, hmm? okay, I created it for a reason, let me deal with it, you know. Mm-hmm, and let mm-hmm. me say, let me look at it for the positive, because in every moment there's a positive. You know, we can focus on the negative or we can focus on the positive. So let me shift my focus to a more positive meaning of this current moment. Mm-hmm, and, then, mm-hmm. and also by staying in the moment and not, you know, always looking to get to another moment are are always dwelling on a past moment, knowing that now is it. <laughs> now is all there right. is. So let me let me do the best I can with right now. So right. There's, right. There's a lot, lot of um lot of good wisdom that has come from the ancient teachings and um science now is really from everything I'm studying um with quantum physics, it's just backing up um, what ancient wisdom has taught us for eons. Right, right, and that's that's really exciting because science, yes, scientific studies help open doorways where, you know, can open doorways for people to receive such ideas. And mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah. exciting. It, Yes, that that is so true. Because for me, I really struggled when I was just studying spirituality. I struggled with the the understanding of it because it was so different from what you know we were brought up to believe. And mm-hmm. but when I when I saw what the bleep and understood that science is actually saying the same thing, I was like, wait a second, <laughs> this this all makes perfect sense to me now. Mm-hmm. So, and some people, yeah. um, like for me, I, I don't need science to prove every aspect of spirituality, 
But some people, that, that scientific end of it, because that's why I say with the show that um, science and spirituality are both saying that we're literally all connected. We're all one. Right. So it kind of appeals to the, the, science per, the science person and the spiritual person, you know, so trying to, right. to combine the two. Right, and I thought I have have guests that are in both fields, the scientific and the spiritual, the spiritual right. field, on the show. And, and, and then, and then the fun challenge is okay. What what is that awareness? How does that awareness translate in day to day life? Exactly. And, and and that that's where it gets really interesting because I can have that awareness. Uh, exactly. At the same time, you know, I can I can get triggered, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, whether it's in yes. traffic or something else. And mm-hmm. so this is where this is where I think it gets really interesting in terms of for folks who embrace some type of meditation practice, because then we introduce the the concept of you know not the concept but the experience of the witness. This mm-hmm. part of my this part of my consciousness which can witness my thoughts emotions and feelings and I think that there alone just the fact that wait I'm not my thoughts I'm not my emotions I'm not my body that there's this exactly. other part this awareness and I and so this is where I, I I just get really excited so more and more folks that practice that then you combine that with some basic tools and this is what we explore in the peace ambassador training you combine mm-hmm. the ability to be in the witness and then to be mindful like being aware of what's happening, and then it creates that ability to then pause instead of automatically reacting. You exactly. can actually pause, and so that, and then also when in the witness, I mean, Nick, Nicky Singer, I heard him once say that the witness is the soul. So you think about this mm-hmm. part that's witnessing. Yes. If you go deeper into that, we actually go into soul awareness, and then you bring that into awareness. But you know, then you start to feel that oneness, that non-dual state. So mm-hmm. the more time spent in that, then we can go from being reactive and then we can choose our response. And then we can also tap into an intuition that comes beyond the intellect. And okay. that intuition has insights that, you know, the mind just can't comprehend. So so in, in terms of coming back to global, you know, oneness and being aware of that, beyond just an intellectual concept is then to start to experience it through deeper meditative states and mm-hmm. then to translate that into day-to-day actions. I think that's the part. I, you know, we, we also do a, a Yoga Day Summit. And if you look at yogadaysummit.com, we had nine hours of video mm. last year, and, and including a, a video from uh, Michael Singer and it, it was just a phenomenal experience to look at the impact of yoga in the world, yoga yeah. and meditation, and in the fact that you know this. Here's the part that people don't realize is that great masters in the Himalayas planned for yoga to come to the West years and years and years before it came here, and they mm-hmm. waited until the West had a language to understand the inner technology, and they waited until we had quantum physics. Because prior to that, prior to that, the yogis knew the West wouldn't have a language to understand yoga. And and it was sent to the West to help harmonize humanity because they saw that we were coming into 
the atomic age, and unless we really developed our inner science, we would have the ability to destroy ourselves. Right. And mm-hmm. so here we come back to this idea of inner peace is a global responsibility. Right. Mm-hmm. Very true. And I did I did get to see the movie um, Awake, um, mm-hmm. the story of the, the yogi that brought um, it to the West. I did get to see that. That was a beautiful movie. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, wow, it is, it's, you know, I truly do believe that um, the consciousness is, we're going through a consciousness shift, which is so great that the the name of the network is the Shift Network, because I truly believe that each day more and more people are understanding the, this truth that we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm, and it, it's, mm-hmm. The truth of oneness does not have, uh, like you say, it doesn't have a color. It doesn't have uh, religion. It doesn't have. It's just that we are literally all connected. And when you when you hurt another person, you're really hurting yourself. And um, it can be, you know, we can um, have make it that simple to, of a understanding. It doesn't have to be complex, you know, and. I believe that you know the peace, the the all of the the different um, organizations like the Shift Network, um, Humanities Team, um, the the uh, what is it? The International Day of Peace, which is yes. September twenty first, and mm-hmm. now there's the Global Oneness Day, um, which is um, October twenty fourth. Which actually now there are enough enough signatures to go to the UN. For um, to make um, Global Oneness Day on the calendar, <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, like the International Day of Peace, but all these days that are focusing on peace and oneness and love, because it just it to me it just all boils down to you know love for one another, and mm-hmm. that translates I believe in every religion, every culture, every race. Um, mm-hmm. So it is. It's so great. It's so great the work yeah. that you're doing. And did you did you want to maybe share with the audience some things that might be coming up, some events that might be coming sure. up? That the sure. Go ahead. Share with. Yeah. Us. Well, well, a few a few resources right now is uh, WorldPeaceLibrary.com. There's okay. over 370 now, I think, interviews that have been mapped out. It's a free resource. I uh, highly encourage you to use it for yourself, family, school, and and there's just interview after interview. And the key part is that they're laid out in a way where you can start to see what peace looks like from inter- international. Uh, we also have the, the summerpeace.net, and we will be launching that June 21st. Right now you can see the recordings that are in there from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of those, uh, those are now also in the World Peace Library. We also okay. you want to look at yogadaysummit.com. And that last year was the first International Day of Yoga on June 21st, and we celebrated with nine hours of just phenomenal videos. And I had traveled to Rishikesh, India, to mm-hmm. conduct interviews with the Swamis, Swaminis, and yoga teachers on the bank of the Ganges River at the birthplace of yoga in the Himalayas. 
And so there's some wonderful, wonderful interviews. And I'll be going back there again uh, in just a couple of weeks to oh. Rishikesh, India, to conduct interviews. Mm-hmm. So definitely, you know, so again, it's yogadaysummit.com, uh-huh. summerofpeace.net, and okay. worldpeacelibrary.com. So those are some resources, and just highly encourage you to enjoy them for yourself and then share them with, with family and friends, too. Okay, and also the Shift Network. Is it yes, at shift. shiftnetwork.org or? Dot com. Uh, dot com, okay. Yeah, and the Shift and Network is, is, yeah, it's a social enterprise, which means, you know, we're for-profit with a very strong philanthropic focus. And okay. And so... You know, a lot of a lot of things that we do are offered for free, and there are courses, and that enables us to keep offering what we were able to offer. Right. Yes. Um, I actually heard of, of you and the Shift ne- Network Network blah, nec- Network through Humanities Team. Um, oh, through Steve. Okay, wonderful. Yes, through Steve. Yes. Yes, and I stay very connected to Humanities Team and um, their efforts on um, awakening the world to oneness because we actually have the exact same mission and goal. Yes, Steve was a, a guest on the show, and um, Global Oneness Day is something I'm very active in with um, Humanities oh, Team. Yeah. yeah, we love that program. Yes. Yes, so that's actually how uh, I listen to them weekly, and then I was like, okay, I have to send you and Emily an invite. <laughs> Yay! Yes, and you, and I'll, I'll be have Emily will be on um, in March, and also Lynn McTaggart. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, uh-huh. but um, she it was her statement in What the Bleat that woke me up. It was one sentence. The biggest problem in the world today is the illusion of separateness. And when she said that, it woke me up. And she will be on Awake to Oneness Radio in March, the end of March. So Mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward. I love all my guests. I I thank you so much for taking the time out and being with us on Awake to Oneness Radio. And thank you so much. So much for all the work that you're doing with the Shift Network, with the Summer of Peace, your book, an amazing book. People go to Amazon and check it out, God and Conflict. Um, so thank you so much. Um, I, I, will, I will wish you have a great weekend. Um, the hour always goes by so fast. <laughs> it does. So, so, Yes, it does. When when you when we're having these kind of conversations, the hour is just the time flies. Um, but thank you so much. Have a great weekend, and I will stay in touch with you via uh, email. We'll keep in touch with each yes. other. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. Okay. You have a great mm-hmm. night. Okay. You too. Okay. Bye bye.